Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds with Brother Shem L, and I'm your host, Brother Shem L. And we're going back with a new one. And this is actually the beginning of a series that I'm going to do. And the title of this series is Elohim, The Fall of Man, and Kabbalah. And before I get into the actual subject, I want to give a special uh, honors to my brother, Brother Roz Bay, Grand Governor of the Morris Science Temple of America in Delaware. A uh, good friend of mine, been knowing him for quite some time. And I want to give him honor because just the past um, temple meeting, this past holy day, he gave a demonstration on Kabbalah, which I thought was excellent. Um, this was actually, Kabbalah is actually something I've been wanting to do, um, address in depth on this podcast for some time, since really since the beginning. But I just never thought it was the right time. You know, I just didn't feel like it. people would, the people who I was communicating with would really get it, um, especially considering I had, I had touched on it in my earlier book, Who is Elohim, which I'll get into later. Um, so he spoke about it in such a profound way, and I was impressed with it, that it inspired me to go ahead and just say, let me just put this information out. So honest to that brother. And I know that there will be... Uh, people within the Moorish movement who will hear the word Kabbalah and they'll feel some type of way about it. You know, I know I know for a fact there are those who look at it as not a part of Moorish science. Some even consider it to be detrimental um, because they don't understand it, which is fine. You know, I have a wide listening audience of people from various backgrounds. And even with my brothers and sisters within the Moorish movement, you know, if you listen with an open ear, open mind, um, you'll be able to take the jewels from it. And what I'm going to do is show the relationship and the, the connections between the teachings within the Holy Quran and the Moral Science Temple of America, affectionately known as Circle 7, and the teachings of the Kabbalah, and really show how it's one and the same. And there are many teachers out there who have spoken about this. Um, well, I've touched on Kabbalah, I should say. Um, special shout out and honors to the brother A.A. Rashid, who's been teaching on the Kabbalah for years. And in no way, shape, or form do I profess to be a master, the master or the primary source on Kabbalah, but I do study it um, quite, quite um, in depth to the point that I feel I can give my measure of understanding on it and particularly how it relates to more science. And that's, that's really the purpose of masterminds is to show a broader perspective of more science as it pertains to the esoteric information. So without further ado, what I want to do is first address the actual, um, what Kabbalah is. And let me just say, I'm going to go into the circle seven. I'll be going into the Bible. Um, I'll be going into my own book, Who is Elohim? 
Um, for those of you who are interested in the book, definitely feel free to reach out to me um, to get a copy of it uh, because I, I actually speak about this in that book. And as well, I'll be going into the primary um, text for Kabbalah known as the Zohar. I'll be reading from that text as well. But I want to first get into what Kabbalah is. And basically, I want to say this. If you are serious about studying the Kabbalah, anyone who is remotely interested or serious about studying the Kabbalah for real, you're going to need at least three things. No matter what else you get, you you know, there's plenty of books on the Kabbalah, um, commentaries, there's videos, et cetera, et cetera. If you do nothing else, you're going to need one, a Bible. Number two, you're going to need a Strong's Concordance, specifically for the purpose of the Hebrew lexicon at the end of the Bible. So you'll know the Hebrew words that are in the Bible because you're going to have to know the Hebrew. You're going to have to have an understanding, a, a rudimentary understanding of the Hebrew language. You have to. And three, the Zohar. The Zohar is the primary text. It's, it's the fundamental text on the teachings of Kabbalah. Now, there are other texts as well. Um, um, there's numbers which I'll, I'll get into later on. But without question, you have to get into Zohar. Um, just to have the, the the foundation on it, and then you can ex you know start up with that the Bible, your strong concordance, and then you can build into the other uh, writings as well. So, with that said, um, so you're now giving you a, a a way to grasp what I'm I'm talking about. Um, so, what I like to do is first just I'm going to go into the circle seven. I'm going to go there before I get into the Kabbalah. I said I was going to get into the definition of Kabbalah. But let me go first to the circle seven, chapter 11. And I'm going to start with verse 20. Now, I'm going to preference this by saying this gets into Elohim. Now, in the Morse questionnaire, there are three keys where you'll see the word Elohim, and they are towards the end. Key 96, 97, and 98. So in key 96, it says, who made the devil? Elohim, 97. Who is Elohim? Elohim is the cre seven created spirits that created everything that ever was, is, and evermore to be. 98, what is Elohim sometimes called? The seven eyes of Allah. Now, you see the Elohim mentioned three times. Now. I'm going to go into, again, chapter 11 of the Circle 7, verse 20, to show you why you need to study those things that I mentioned about. So it says, from Allah's own record, we read, the triune Allah breathed forth and stood seven spirits before his face. The Hebrews call these seven spirits Elohim. And these are they 
who in their boundless power created everything that is or was. These spirits of the triune Allah moved on the face of the of boundless space and seven ethers were, and every ether had its form of life. These forms of life were but the thought of Allah clothed in the substance of their ether planes. Men call these ether planes the planes of protoplasts, of earth, of plant, of beast, of man, of angel, of cherubim. Now I'm going to stop there. So the first thing you find out in verse 20 is that the Elohim called the seven created spirits The Hebrews called the seven created spirits Elohim, right? So it's a, Elohim is a Hebrew word. And I've always talked about this and taught about this, about the fact that Elohim is a Hebrew word. Not only is it a Hebrew word, it is the first word for God in the Bible. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there is Elohim. Elohim also is a plural word. The im, I am, or the yad and the meme in Hebrew denotes plurality. So it's more than one. You'll also find that word in Psalms 82, verse 6, where it says, I said, ye are gods and children of the Most High. Now, this is important because we're going to find out later in the series I'm really going to go into why, how Elohim, um, the role Elohim plays as far as Kabbalah is concerned. So what I want to do in terms of understanding that, knowing that it's a Hebrew word, right? Okay. And knowing that that's how it works. I want to go into the Kabbalah itself, right? So. Again, the Kabbalah is not a book. The Kabbalah is not, like I said, it's not the name of a person or anything. It is Hebraic mysticism, all right? And that's very key to understand. Now, I also want to get into this fact about what the word Kabbalah means, so the word Kabbalah <clears throat> actually means, comes from the root word Kabbal, which means to receive, okay? So now the word Kabbal is found in the strong concordance is actually number 6901 in strong concordance. And I forgot to tell you that Elohim is also in strong concordance, um, which is the Hebrew and Chaldee dictionary of the Old Testament. It's number 430. Now, Elohim sometimes translates as judges and angels, right? Magistrates, rulers. So it's not only gods, but it also can be denoted for other things as well. But it always... Um, denotes to pretty much rulership in that context. So with that said, 
again, as I mentioned, we're looking at where it's from. So what I'm going to go, you can actually, everything I'm saying, every Hebrew word you can find in the Bible that I'm mentioning right now as it pertains to Kabbalah. So where I'm going to go now is into the actual, um, the actual book of Proverbs. Okay. And this will be Proverbs 19, verse 20. And I'm looking for it right now. Proverbs verse 19, verse 20. And it actually says the following. It says, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in the later end. So the word receive is kabbal. Kabbal. And you'll notice a lot of times, most commonly, it's spelled with a K, Kabbalah. But in the Hebrew, it's actually um, with a Q, a Kaf. The Hebrew letter Kaf, which is Q. So it's Q-A-B-A-L, Kabbalah. So Kabbalah is really with a Q, actually. But commonly in the English, you will see it written with a K. Now, that's very important to understand. So Kabbalah is the received instructions, right? Instructions that are, are received. Received from where? Received from on high, from a higher source. So that's where the whole mystical information, esoteric information comes into play, where you understand Kabbalah. Now, what I want to say in reference to the Kabbalah is very important. And as I mentioned before, you have to understand about the Zohar. And with the Zohar and how it plays a part into everything. But a lot of people talk about the tree of life, the Kabbalistic tree of life. Every, if you talk to most people, they will speak on the Kabbalistic tree of life. In reality, you cannot speak about the Kabbalistic tree of life and have the full comprehension of it without speaking about the four worlds. Now, there are people who know about the four worlds, but most people who vaguely know about Kabbalah, they don't really know about the four worlds. And if they know about it, they don't know it in depth. And that's why I wanted to take this time out to speak on it. So basically, in essence, when you have the four worlds, I can show you in the circle seven where the, the four worlds are mentioned. And someone may say, nah, that ain't, that's not true. It's not in there. Well, if you go to chapter one of the circle seven, the creation and fall of man, you'll see there's a section where he's speaking about the worlds, right? If you look at the original writing, and some of these has been taken out. But before you actually um, 
at the part in time where you where it says, "Why did creative fate give to a soul a body of flesh that he might function on the plane of things that are made manifest?" In in a lot of these circle sevens, it may say, "Hear now, ye cherubim, ye seraphim, ye angels, and ye men," but in the earlier part, in the earlier editions of it, right before that, you'll have here now ye worlds, ye dominions, ye powers, and ye thrones. So it actually is speaking to the worlds. Not only that, it also speaks about the worlds where in later on, where it talks about in the chapter on religion. So I'll go there for those who don't know. Okay. I'll start with verse three, and this is chapter 35. Okay. Chapter 35, verse three of the circle seven, it says to the one who is supreme, most wise and beneficent and to him alone belong worship, adoration, thanksgiving and praise who have stretched forth the heavens with his hands, who have described with his finger the courses of the stars, who setteth bounds to the ocean that it cannot pass, and saith unto the stormy winds, be still, who shaketh the earth and the nations tremble, who dareth his lightnings, and the wicked are dismayed, who call forth worlds by the words of his mouth, who smite it, with his arm, and they sink into nothing. So here you have worlds spoken in plural, and it's speaking about Allah bringing forth worlds by the words of his mouth. As I mentioned in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? So by calling forth, by it uttering the word, the worlds are formed. And in Kabbalah, there are four worlds. Now, I'm going to get into the first one known as Atzilut. That's A-T-Z-I-L-U-T-H, Atzilut or sometimes it says absolute. Now that is actually um, connected to a root word that is found, again, in the Bible, known as atzal. Atzal means to, um, how can you put it? It's basically an emanation. Atzaluf means emanation, basically, in a nutshell. So, to Atzal, Azaluth means emanation. Atzal means to reserve, okay? Like to hold back a reservation, a reserve, a reservoir, right? So you will find this in the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel itself 
is a Kabbalistic book, um, particularly Ezekiel chapter one, which I mentioned in Who is Elohim. Um, that's where you get into a type of a type of actual Kabbalah known as um, Makeba Kabbalah, which I'm not going to get into too deep now. But what I want to do, I'll get into that later in the series. But I'm going to go and read this portion of Ezekiel. And then we're going to pretty much do an overview and get into the later half where I'm really going to get into the aspect of Azaluth because it's very important that we have an understanding of what the worlds are and how it play, take place. Because the key, or I should say the tree of life, in its essence, really exists in the first world of Atzaluth, not the other worlds. It, it only reflects on the latter worlds. And I'm going to get into that uh, more in depth. So it says, and I'm reading chapter 42. And I'm actually going to go from verse 1 to 6. And this is where Ezekiel is, have the angel is taking him to the temple for the priest. And Ezekiel literally means, comes from a, a Hebrew, the Hebrew, Yachatzel, uh, which means El will strengthen or God will strengthen, right? Ezekiel, right? El is God. And from El, you get Elohim. El, Elohim. Same root. So, chapter 42, it says, Then he brought me forth into the other court, the way toward the north, and he brought me into the chamber, that was over against a separate place and which was before the building toward the north. Before the length of a hundred cubics was the north door and the breadth was 50 cubics. Over against the 20 cubics, which were for the inner court and over against the pavement, which was for the other court, was gallery against gallery in three stories. And before the chamber was a walk of 10 cubits, bred inward, a way of one cubit in their doors toward the north. Now, the upper chambers were shorter, for the galleries were higher than these, than the lower, and then the middlemost of the building, for they were in three stories. But not, but had not pillars as the pillars of the courts. Therefore, the building was straightened or reserved more than the lowest and the middlemost from the ground. So it said there that the three stories, right? The building was reserved more than the lowest. The upper was reserved more than the lowest. Okay, from the ground. Now that. Reserve is your atzal. So this is allegorical, if you understand this, from the aspect of what Ezekiel is about. Because, again, 
this is supposed to be about the priest. Okay. Now we know that in the reality, in the higher science, each one of you are priest, right? There is no middleman in this day and age. So as you know, this was a teaching that was to be taught by, and it was taught specifically by Brother Justice, known as Jesus, where he talked about that. Where in chapter 10, he said, and I'll start from 20, when men are afraid of Allah and take them for a foe, they dress up other men in fancy garbs and call them priests and charge them to restrain, again, reserve the wrath of Allah by prayers. And when they fall, fail to win his favor by their prayers to buy him off with sacrifice of animals and birds. When man sees Allah as one with him, as father Allah, he needs no middleman, no priest to intercede. He goes straight up to him and says, my father, God, Allah. And then he lays his hand in Allah's own hand and all is well. And this is Allah. You are each one a priest just for yourself and sacrifice of blood Allah does not want. Just give your life in sacrificial service to the all of life in Allah's please. So those were, that's the esoteric teaching, right? So when you hear about the temple, you're really dealing with the temple of perfected man, that temple that is not built by the man's of hand, by the hands of man, I should say, right? There's no, no tools, no physical tools in building that temple. But with that said, we're going to go a little bit more on the second half about that world of Atzaluth and its importance in relation to the other worlds taught in Kabbalah. So what I'd like to do at this time for the second half is I'd like to read a section of my book, Who is Elohim, where I actually ask the question about the Zohar. And as I mentioned earlier in the first half, is that Zohar is the fundamental work. So the question is asked, question, what is the Zohar? Answer, the Zohar, which is Hebrew for radiance, is the fundamental work in the literature of Kabbalah. It's largely composed in what has been described as a highly eccentric style of Aramaic, which was the daily language of Israel within the Second Temple era, which spanned from 539 BCE to 70 CE. For those who don't know, that's CE is Christian era, BCE is before Christian era. Aramaic was also the original language of large sections of the books of Daniel and Ezra. The Zahar is a collection of books, which includes commentary on the esoteric aspects of the Torah, which is the five books of Moses. 
from Hebrew Moshe, from the root word mush, meaning to draw out, and Arabic is Musa, as well as content on mysticism, cosmogony, and esoteric psychology. It has a discussion of the nature of Elohim, which we just discussed earlier in chapter 11 of the Circle 7, in a section of the Zahar entitled The Occult Origin of Alhim, and in here, Alhim means Elohim, it states the following in part, quote, when the most secret one wished to reveal himself, he first created a point and it became a divine thought in which were the ideas of all created things and forms of all things and also the holy glorious light wherein was the holy of holies, a structure of magnificent and lofty dimensions. The work of that divine thought and the beginning or cornerstone to the structure hidden and concealed in the name as yet ineffable, find known only as me, which is Hebrew for who, who wished to manifest itself and to be called by a name and become arrayed and clothed with a precious and resplendent garment. He therefore created Aleh, which is Hebrew for these things, which then became a part of the divine name. For these words joined and associated together form Alhim, which is composed of Aleh, these things, and me, reverse, which is the Yad and Mim, or the Mim and the Yad, which is reversed to Yad and Mim, as I mentioned earlier, reversed, and which existed not previous to this conjunction. So the above passage directly coincides with the Holy Quran of the Moor Science Temple of America, known as Circle 7, also, chapter 11, verses 20 to 23. Through divine thought, Allah created Elohim, which in turn created all other things. Remember, we spoke about the, the triune Allah breathed forth the seven created spirits. The Hebrews call these seven spirits Elohim, and these are they who in their boundless power created everything that is or was, right? So the Hebrew word Aleh, which is also led... A-L-E-H, which is also letter E-L-E-H, literally means these things. So Elohim is consisting of these things, i.e. Ele, which are the seven creative spirits. It should also be noted that the title most secret one coincides with the ancient comedic word pronounced Amen, Aman, or Amun, which translates as hidden one. One of the titles of Amun is King of Gods. His position as King of Gods grew to the point of virtual monotheism where other Neturu, or gods, comedic for gods, became manifestations of him in ancient Kemet. Likewise, Elohim is a multifold manifestation of Allah in the sense that Elohim are creators just as Allah is a creator. All human beings are creators as well. This is confirmed in the Circle 7, Chapter 7, Verses 8 and 9, which state, quote, And Jesus said, My brother man, your thoughts are wrong. 
your heaven is not far away. And it is not a place of meets and bounds. It is not a country to be reached. It is a state of mind. Allah never made a heaven for man. He never made a hell. We are creators and we make our own. Unquote. So the previous passage confirms the fact that we can create things by way of our thoughts. And when you get into the four worlds or the four realms, which I'm discussing the first one, Atzilu, these are manifestations of thought, right? I already said in chapter one, it speaks about the thought of Allah being infinite. And I'm going to get into that word infinite in Kabbalah. But, right, so we create these things by our thoughts. We become what we think about. As it states in the book of Proverbs, also in chapter 23, verse 7 in part, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what we discover is that our thoughts produce various states of mind. These states of mind determine the quality of life we live on the physical plane, which is the last plane known as Asiya in Kabbalah. But we'll get more into that um, at a later podcast about that final plane, uh, Asiya meaning action, the plane of action. As it is described also in the sacred wisdom of Tahuti, known also as the Kabbalion, everything is mental, right? All is mind and the universe is mental. So these are key things that we must, you know, be mindful of in the teachings of, of Kabbalah. Um, also, in reference, I'm going, while getting to also in the Zahar where it states about creating the world. So there's another section in Zahar where it says, quote, to create the world, it, right? And I'll tell you in a minute what that it is. It emanated right? Emanation, Adzilu, a secret spark, that spark is awareness, from which emerged and radiated all light. The upper world, Adzilu, was constituted of this light. Then a light or a different dimension of light, a light without brightness, was fashioned into the lower world as it is composed of unilluminated light, the lower world is attracted to the upper world. Now, that goes into the book of Genesis where it talks about the two great lights, the greater light and the lesser light. So some people think that it's talking about the sun and the moon, but the moon is non-illuminous. The moon cannot give off its light, cannot give off any light. It is simply a reflection. It only reflects the light of the sun. It gives no light of its own. So this is, again, an allegory to a deeper esoteric or metaphysical reality. And that's what the Zohar is speaking about. It's speaking about the upper worlds of light, which is awareness of consciousness, and then constituting, bringing forth a lower consciousness, which again coincides with chapter 
one of the circle seven, where it speaks about the creation and fall of man. So what I want to do is take us back to the creation and fall of man and then put this in the context of Atzilu. Because when Prophet Noble Ali divinely prepared the Circle 7, the Holy Quran and the Moor Science Temple of America, affectionately referred to as Circle 7, he could have chosen any chapter to be the first chapter. But he specifically chose this chapter. And this is the only chapter that has no verses in it. Now, why is that? When you read it, you really get an understanding. If, if you have that, if you read with an open mind, you get that understanding as to why this one is more so important to put first. And this coincides directly with Kabbalah. So we'll start with chapter one, the creation and fall of man. Time never was when man was not. If life of man at any time began, a time would come when it would end. The thoughts of Allah cannot be circumscribed. No finite mind can comprehend things infinite. All finite things are subject unto change. All finite things will cease to be because there was a time when they were not. The bodies and the souls of men are finite things and they will change. Yea, from the finite point of view, the time will come when they will be no more. But man himself is not the body nor the soul. He is a spirit and a part of Allah. Creative fate gave to man, to spirit man, a soul that he might function on the plane of soul. Gave him a body of flesh that he might function on the plane of things made manifest. Why did creative fate give to man, spirit man, a soul that he might function on the plane of soul? Why did creative fate give to soul a body of flesh that he might function on the plane of things made manifest? Hear now ye cherubim, ye seraphim, ye angels, and ye men. Hear now, O protoplast, and earth, and plant, and beasts. Hear now ye creeping things of earth, ye fish that swim. Ye birds that fly, hear now ye winds that blow, ye thunders and ye lightnings of the sky. Hear now ye spirits of the fire, of water, earth, and air. Hear now, O everything that is, or was, or evermore will be, for wisdom speaks from out the highest plane of spirit life. Man is a thought of Allah. All thoughts of Allah are infinite. They are not measured up by time. For the things that are concerned with time begin and end. The thoughts of Allah are the everlasting of the past unto the never-ending days to come. And so is man, spirit man. So I want to stop right there. Because there you're getting the picture being painted to you before you about the worlds, the dissension, which is basically, as it goes on, an aspect of vibration slowing down, right? The spirit man being given a body of soul, 
the function on the plane of soul, the soul created faith given to soul, a body of flesh that he might function on the plane of things manifest, made manifest. Now, I want to make a point about Ezekiel chapter 42, which we read. Okay. So in Ezekiel chapter 42, first, this is very important. The number 42 is a very important number. One of the first things, if you've done, for those of us who are who have studied many different things, particularly those of us who studied uh, ancient Kemetic uh, information, you'll notice that number 42 pops up in the mind as it connects with the 42 negative confessions, right, of Ma'at. So you have that aspect in terms of the 42 negative confessions. So you also have within there other things as well with the number 42. And I just want to go over that because the 42 is important. There's a reason why you find the word atzelu in its root, atzel, in chapter 42. And it was 42 verse 6. 4 plus 2 equals 6. Okay? So, this is what it is. So 42 is the number in which the creator of the created the universe. The most significant name in Kabbalah, the most significant name is that of Ein Sof. And you have Ein, Ein Sof. That's the it that I was referring to you about that created the spark. You have Ein, Ein Sof, and Ein Sof Or, right? And I'm going to get into that, exactly what that is. But let me get into 42 first, okay? So it also, in Kabbalah, they speak about a 42-letter name. And this 42-letter name contains four combined names, which are spelled in Hebrew letters, right? 42 letters, which is the name of Azaluth. Right, the, which is the realm of emanation. Okay, so there are links between the 42 lettered name, right, of Kabbalah, and also the 42 lettered names that was taken on and adapted by those who created the Talmud, right? But the key thing is the number 42 and its significance. So, also, you'll find that there, in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, there are 42 generations in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, the question is asked in our Moorish questionnaire, would you give him brief the line genealogy through which Jesus came. Some of the great fathers through which Jesus came are Abraham, Boaz by Ruth, Jesse, King David, Solomon, Hezekiah, and Joseph by Mary. You'll find that genealogy not in the Holy Quran and the Moorish Science Temple of America. No, you're going to find that in the Bible, which is also proof again, as I try to tell Moors, that to have the full comprehension of Moorish science, 
based on the lessons in more science, you need to study the Bible. I'm not saying that you have to have that as your sole spiritual divine guidance, but it is a source of reference to study. So also is prophesied in the book of Revelation chapter 13, verse five, that 42 months, for 42 months, the beast will hold dominion over the earth, okay? And there's other, um, there's other aspects of that in the Bible as well, where you see 42 as well. In Buddhism, they have what's known as the Sutra of 42 Sections, uh, which is regarded as the first Indian Buddhist Sutra that was translated into the Chinese language. Um, and so 42 is a very important number. 42 stations of the Exodus um, that speak about the locations that were visited by the Israelites. This is recorded in the book of Numbers, chapter 33. So that number 42 is very powerful and is very significant as to what that means. But most importantly, Ein Sof. So what I want to get into, I want to get into the Ein Sof. And this is important as it relates to the world of Atzeluth, right? So what you see here, basically, there's what's known as three veils of negative existence in the Kabbalah. Three veils of negative existence. Pay attention to the number three, okay? Now, those three veils are known as Ein, Ein Sof, and Ein Sofer, Ein Sofer, right? So the first one is Ein. And I mentioned about Ein in Who is Elohim, and I'll read the section um, shortly about that particular um, portion. Okay, so Ein is a negation. It, it literally means no, right? No, okay, non-existent negation. It's a raw negation. Okay, so it's the most primordial quality of the three veils. But it's not just a negation of physical forms, but rather, but um, neither of the ideas that characterize those forms or the concept of them, right? So before anything else, the first thing is Ayn. Now, I want you to keep in mind, there was a teaching, and it, I believe it's still taught, if I'm not mistaken, within the Nation of Islam, taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, where it says that came out of triple stage darkness. Use the term triple stage, right? That ties directly to Kabbalah, to the, to the, um, the state of nothingness, okay? And we're going to get into that. So before the, even the notion of what to exist means, you have Ein, okay? So Ein, when I mentioned in the book, Who is Elohim? I also mentioned the fact that the letter Ein, okay, 
The interesting thing, and I'll read it. The interesting thing about Ein, which is the letter Ein, okay? And I'll tell you why I use the letter Ein. Is the fact that in Gematria, which is a Hebraic form of numerology, so Kabbalah is the Hebraic form of mysticism, Gematria is the Hebraic form of numerology. The letter Ein represents the number 70. Seven plus zero equals seven. In Kabbalah, the word Ein means state of nothingness, which is that which was before things came into existence. The letter name comes from the pro-Semitic Ein, which means I, and the Phoenician letter had an I shape. So the very word I was initially in the letter was equated with the I. Now, for those who know, in more science in the Constitution, you'll see that I, the divine constitution and bylaws, that's the I of Allah, right? People ask, well, what does that I have to do with anything, right? What is Elohim sometimes called? The seven eyes of Allah. What's the significance of the I? It goes back to Ein, okay? So the Phoenician letter had an I shape, which came from the ear, which is I-R, hieroglyph in ancient Kemet. This eye became known as the eye of Ray or eye of Ra or the eye of Haru or the eye of Horus. One of the names in the Bible used to describe God is El Roy or El Rai, which means God who sees. It was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13 by Hagar, mother of Abraham's first son, Ishmael, which means El hears or God hears. Hagar, who is highly revered in the great Quran of Muhammad, the Quran of Mecca, came from ancient Kemet. She was what they would call an Egyptian. Hagar is mentioned in the Holy Quran in the Moor Science Temple of America, Circle 7, chapter, I believe, 45, verse 3, which states, quote, the Egyptians who were the Hamathites and of a direct descendant of Misraim, that Arabians, the seed of Hagar, Japanese and Chinese, okay? So that's important to understand in and of itself with the Ain. So the Ain, from Ain, you have, you get Ain Sof, which means no thing or no thingness, right? And a master teacher taught me that when you say nothing or the state of nothingness, nothing in esoteric, you're speaking of a thing that's not within the element chart because no is actually a number. When you say like number one, you would say abbreviated with N-O, N-O dot one. So the no thing is the, that which is not numbered, that which is not quantified on the realm of the plane of manifest. So it's no thingness. It doesn't sum up to it. It's not something. It doesn't sum up to a thing. It is beyond the what you call the finite, the tangible, because everything you see with the physical eye is an illusion anyway. 
So this is before the illusion. So that's the second quality, right? And it's, it has its expression in the realm of Bria or the mental plane, okay? Um, and then after that is Ein Sofar, which is, okay, so nothing, no limit, and the no limit of light, right? This is where the Kosor means light. Nothing, no limit, and the limitless light, right? And in the, keep in mind, in the book of Genesis, it says, let there be light. It doesn't say, God said, we're going to make light. When it said the man, it says, we're going to make man. But when it came to light, light was let. It was an allowance. It was a yielding. It was an emanation, right? And this is also called, this is in the, um, the world of the universe, Olum in Hebrew, which is uh, equated when you get into Arabic of Alamin, the universes or the worlds. Olum is the worlds. So in the Fatiha, for those Muslims who know about the Fatiha, the Muslims who know about it, when you say Bismillah al-Rahman al-Rahim, the second verse is Alhamdulillah Rabil Alamin, Rabil Alamin. That translates commonly as Lord of the Worlds or Sustainer of the Worlds, Sustainer of the Universes. So, Olum, that's Alamin. Those are cognates of each other, the Arabic and the Hebrew. So, when we're getting into the actual aspect of what we know to be Atzaluth, it is the realm of pure divinity, Okay. And it relates to what we know as the tree of life in two primary ways. Firstly, it is taught that the the tree of life exists in that world. Okay? And then secondly, it's taught that the tree of life itself is subdivided into four sections, each one of the sections representing one of the four worlds, and the top section representing Atzeluth. Okay? And again, you're dealing with the emanation. You're dealing with the reservation, that that reservoir, because it speaks in Ezekiel 42, verse 6, about reserving, holding back, okay? And this is the realm by which the thoughts are formed. This is the realm by which the spark is starting to evolve itself. And when I mentioned about the three um, three veils of negative existence, that correlates with the triune law. The triune law breathed forth seven creative spirits. What is the triune law? Wisdom, will, and love. Keep in mind, wisdom correlates with the first veil of Ain. How do you know that? Because in chapter one, right, it is wisdom that's speaking to the worlds. It is wisdom that's speaking to the cherubim, the seraphim, the angels, 
the spirits of fire, water, earth, and air, right? Wisdom. And then you have will, which is force, that which exists before power, that which exists before the manifest, and then love. Love manifested in the flesh into whom we called Jesus. And in more science, Jesus means justice. So that just touched a little bit on this realm. And there's much more than that. But I'm glad I was able to bring this to your attention. And we will definitely continue in our next episode. Until then, peace.